This morning's scripture from Matthew 5, 43-48 comes from the Sermon on the Mount on which Jesus taught on many different topics. Today's scripture, as Adam has said, has to do with loving our enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be taking a look at uh, a catchphrase that's been used in the Church of the Brethren now for a number of years. Uh, the phrase is, continuing the work of Jesus peacefully, simply, together. These catchphrases are great. We put them on bumper stickers, we throw them on websites, we put them on the fronts of things, and we expect maybe that they'll explain our entire faith in just a few short words. Unfortunately, they rarely ever do that, and there's a lot for us to discuss. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a look at this phrase, continuing the work of Jesus peacefully, simply, together. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say, what Jesus says about living at peace with our enemies, living at peace with those around us, living at peace with our neighbors. We're going to look at what Jesus says about living simply and, and really trusting in Jesus. We're also going to look at what community means, what it means for us to live together, to work together, to care for one another, and to study Scripture together and to wrestle with Scripture together. So this morning we're going to be looking at what it means to continue the work of Jesus peacefully. I sat down to write my sermon and I said, what do I want to say in one sermon about peace? It's kind of a broad topic. There's a lot to talk about, a lot to digest, a lot of places that this could go. So let me begin with prayer. Jesus, Prince of Peace. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. Would you speak through me or despite me? In Jesus' name, amen. Spring Creek Church of the Brethren. We are part of a movement of Anabaptist pietist groups, and if you don't know anything about church history, you're not going to be lost because those are groups and words and phrases that have had meaning and uh, will continue to have meaning for us, but that's not exactly what we're going to focus on this morning. 
But as a brethren movement, we have been interested in going back to Scripture, at looking at Jesus and following Him in radical discipleship. The brethren emerged as a group who wanted to return to Scripture and to live in discipleship to the Jesus they found there in Scripture. They often looked to the early church to see how they had lived out their faith, having walked beside Jesus. So as we look at peace, simplicity, and community, what we're really looking at is the work that Jesus started. To a world that needs Jesus, peace, simplicity, and genuine community, maybe we could use a refresher course. Peace, simplicity, and community come from a desire to follow Jesus in radical, real-world discipleship. Not just this spiritual relationship with Jesus that doesn't impact the way you and I live, but we really want to follow Jesus who calls us to a different way of living. To call, calls us to uh, radical acts of service and love, even of those that call us enemies. Our scripture this morning, Matthew 5, 43 to 48, comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the central ethical teachings of Jesus. Jesus says, you want to know what faith in the kingdom looks like. You want to know what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like this. And he talks about a whole host of ways that you and I are now called to live as we follow Jesus. Our scripture calls us to love your enemies and to pray for those that persecute you. As I thought about talking about continuing the work of Jesus peacefully, it's hard to pick the one scripture that talks about the biblical view of peace. It's hard to talk about one thing. And so this morning, I just want to take a brief look at the biblical narrative that points us to Jesus and points us towards the idea of loving our enemies. So I want you to imagine this morning that we are on a tour bus and we are going to be taking a tour of Scripture, and we're going to be, I'm going to be pointing some things out. I, I've listed in your bulletin, in the sermon notes, a whole list of Scriptures. I'm not going to read through all of them this morning. That is your homework for the week. Go back and, and read through all of those texts. But what I want to show us this morning is that the biblical story is pointing us towards Jesus and is pointing us towards this phrase, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. The biblical story is really focused on, the Hebrew word is shalom. We translate it as peace, but it it means so much more than that. Wholeness, completeness, even rest in God. So we're going to be looking at that this morning. The biblical narrative, Genesis to Revelation, is a story that points us to Jesus. Jesus is the point of the story. The biblical narrative, the Bible, is not a flat book 
It is like other great works of literature in that it has this rising action. It has a climax, and then it has some falling action. It's unlike other literature in that it speaks to us of who God is, of who Jesus is. It calls us to a radical way of living. But Jesus is the point. John, chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, kind of tells us that Jesus is the point. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning, Jesus was with God. Jesus shows us what God is like. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. Look at the way I live. Jesus is saying, here's the point of the story. Here's what it's all about. Here's what from Genesis to Revelation is about. And so we begin our tour through Scripture. At creation, everything is right and good. God creates everything, and he looks down and he says, this is good. And it's a place without violence, without sin, without brokenness, without distorted relationships between human beings. But then it all gets messed up. When people try to do things their own way, it starts to break down Adam and Eve's relationship between them and God, and then between Adam and Eve. And things go downhill really quickly. Because we go from this non-violent Garden of Eden to Cain killing Abel really quickly. Murder is introduced into the story. And yet even as Cain kills Abel in Genesis chapter 4, when you go and read that scripture, I want you to notice that there's no violent retribution of Cain's sin. Cain asks for protection, and God grants it. Even as he is punished, he is sent out and protected. But the behavior on earth digresses. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse until we get to the flood. And God wants to start over. And so he sends the flood. He starts, wants to start again. But let's be honest. Sin, evil, violence don't get wiped out with the flood. It continues. So God sets out to redeem humanity. And the biblical story takes on a redemptive movement. God moves his people 
gradually toward a deeper understanding of who he is. And he wants to move them gradually, step by step, back towards the ideal that was started in the Garden of Eden. He doesn't just kick them there. He doesn't force them there. But he wants to bring his people along to a deeper understanding of who he is. So we're brought along to the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments regarding peace is you shall not murder or kill. It was a limiting of violence. It's interesting that as we read the Old Testament, and in the Church of the Brethren, We've said that we have no creed but the New Testament. So we've often focused on the New Testament, and we don't want to go back and touch the Old Testament because, man, it's got some dirty, nasty stuff in it, and we just rather not deal with it. But as followers of Jesus, as Jesus looked to the Old Testament and used that as his scriptures, we need to do our work too, and we need to look back. If Jesus shows us what God is like, and Jesus lives out the scriptures perfectly, we need to look at the life of Jesus, and we need to go back to our Old Testament, and we need to read it through the lens of Jesus. So in the law, even in the Old Testament, we find a limiting of, of violence, a limiting of retribution. There's a scripture in Exodus 20, Interesting, I want you to hear it. Um, It says, if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely. I love the laws here in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. There's just like very obscure things in there. Uh, I always like reading about, you know, what happens if your uh, ox gores a neighbor's ox and, and how you pay donkeys for donkeys. It's some really interesting stuff in it. I don't know how we put that necessarily in the practice here, but I want you to, let me continue. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And see, you and I read this and assume that the Old Testament is demanding that we respond with violence. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, tit for tat. But within the context of the culture that this law is given to, a culture with which often um, amplified violence, If you hurt me, I'm going to kill you. If you injure me, I'm going to come back and I'm going to injure your family. And they often escalated violence. And so as we read this Old Testament scripture, we can can read it as no more than eye for eye. No more than tooth for tooth. Don't amplify the violence. Rather, limit the violence. And as Jesus brings us along, he says, you have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you. He's bringing us along. He's not leaving us 
back here, he's moving us towards redemption. He's moving us towards a deeper understanding of what it really means to follow Jesus. He's not leaving us back here in the Old Testament. As we move through the scriptures, I think another high point pointing us forward towards redemption, pointing us forward toward Jesus, pointing us forward toward loving our enemies is in Chronicles. One of the major themes out of Chronicles is God's shalom, God's wholeness, God's peace. Because it's in Chronicles that David is held accountable for his warring nature. David desires to build a temple for God and God says, you've got too much, you're, you're a man of war. I can't have you build a temple of peace when you have been just so devoted to building this nation, so devoted to, to fighting these enemies. Your hands are bloody. Rather, your son, Solomon, which goes, connects with the word shalom, peace, your son of peace will build my temple. As we progress then, the prophets envision a coming peaceful reign of God. They envision a suffering servant as the Messiah, not a powerful warrior. They imagine someone who wins by giving their life. So then we get to the New Testament, to the Gospels. And Jesus is consistently nonviolent. He tells us to love our enemies, to pray for those that persecute you. He tells us to turn the other cheek. Let me say something real quick here. We're called to turn the other cheek. That does not mean that we are called to be someone's punching bag. It does mean that in a nonviolent way, we are called to expose evil. If someone slapped you on, their, on your cheek as you turn back to them to turn the other cheek. They're forced to look at your face, forced to see your humanity, forced to see the image of God, not responding in kind. Jesus tells Peter to put away the sword. He says those that live by the sword will die by the sword. I often find it interesting. Do you know why Peter has the sword in the garden in the first place? Because Jesus stops and says, do we have any swords with us? Okay, two, that's good enough. We'll wrestle with that one later. Just throwing that out for you. Jesus, in that same passage, says, I could call legions of angels. I could call down a whole heavenly army. If, if reigning by force and reigning through terror and reigning through fighting is really what this kingdom was about, I'd have an army. Peter, put your sword away. I don't need it. If this is how I wanted to rule, I have a whole heavenly host to call down. But he doesn't. Because the kingdom of God is a different kind of kingdom. 
Jesus loves us, he will not coerce us. He will not force us. We even get a glimpse of Jesus' human struggle with temptation, and specifically the temptation of violence. See, the devil shows up when Jesus is in the desert. And he show, the devil shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world. He says, they're yours. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. It's interesting that Jesus does not contest his claim to be ruler over the kingdoms of the world. He could have political power right then and right there. And Jesus says, I can't worship you. I can't follow you. I'm going to love God only. I'm going to live in a different way. The kingdom of heaven is going to be a different kind of kingdom. Back to Jesus telling
very old ancient times, the way the early church read it, as the conquering of the sweating lamb, the conquering of Jesus through the spilling of his own blood, of encouragement for a church that suffered persecution. been a progression. It's not how I thought growing up. But as I went back to scripture time and time again, and as I had this growing desire to love Jesus and to follow Jesus in radical discipleship, I had to wrestle with what Jesus says in our scripture this morning. Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Continuing the work of Jesus peacefully, simply, together means that we trust who Jesus is and trust what he has called us to, even when it means our life comes to us. Even when we put our lives in risk, in jeopardy, do we really trust who God is? Do we really trust the love and the justice that Jesus talks about in the Bible? Do we really think Jesus meant what he said? As we close this morning, we're going to be singing a, a new song. Maybe you've sung it. I've sung it at camp before. Another camp song. But it's around. So I think Judy's going to play through it first, and then we'll, we'll sing through it. Okay? I think Dick's going to lead this side. I'm going to go around this side. So if you'd stand and turn in your blue hymnal to number 429. 